everyone. You're watching We Heart Therapy. I'm Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, licensed marriage and family therapist and certified emotionally focused therapist and supervisor. And I have a private practice in Las Vegas, Nevada. And I'm so excited to welcome back to our show, Dr. Lori Watson. She is our sex pert. She is co-host of the podcast Four Play Radio, which is found wherever podcasts are found. And it recently hit top 10 uh, for iTunes and Apple, which is fabulous. And she's written books and she has a practice as well. And so we're super excited to welcome Dr. Lori Watson back to our show. Thank you so much, Dr. Lori. Thank you for having me. This is fun. So today we are going to talk about women and sex. Okay. And this is a very um, special topic because I have had so many uh, women come through my practice and just through my life, through acquaintances or friendships, where they struggle to have a satisfying sex life with their partner. Um, and I find what they talk about is that they enjoyed sex when they first got together or, you know, when they were sort of in the dating or honeymoon phase. But then there was a major drop off after they got married. And when you really talk to them, you find that a lot of women have used, not all, but a lot of women have used sex as a tool to secure a relationship. And I think this kind of comes from an old adage, you know, women will trade sex for love where men will trade love for sex. And so, you know, sex wasn't really embarked upon for them as an activity that they necessarily enjoy doing, even though they would have fun. Um, but it wasn't necessarily something they got out of it sexually. It was more, um, we've been given this message that, all, that men mostly want sex and that's their main interest. And so if you can give them the best sex, then they won't want to go anywhere else and he'll be yours forever. And so they use sex as a way to secure a relationship, um, secure that partner. And then once the relationship feels secure, then, you know, it's like, well, I no longer have a function for sex because I never got much out of it anyway. And then the spouses or the partners kind of feel like they got a bait and switch. Like we had all this sex when we were dating and then now we're married and now you never want to have sex. What gives? Um, so that's what we're going to talk about today. <laughs> Lori, what are your thoughts on this topic? Good. Um, I, I think this is important. Um, you know, there are actually four motivations for sex. Um, people say, well, you know, I'm motivated by this, that, and the other, but it often drops into essentially four categories. And that's the first category is really intimacy um, to connect with our partner. Another motive is for pleasure. And those two motives, intimacy and pleasure, really mark the securely attached person and the securely attached couple. And then there's two other motives. And one of them is really for approval, which is what you're talking about, is that women are using sex essentially to find uh, approval from their partner, that they're desirable, that they're sexy, that they're a worthy partner, um, and to, you know, to catch their partner. And then there's also a motive for basically mood regulation. It's, um, you know, how to feel better uh, in, in other states, you know, maybe it's a bad day or I have a bad mood or I'm stressed out or I'm, you know, feeling sick or, you know, something that I, I want to have sex 
that helps me. So those four motives, and I, I think um, one of the things that I've seen too is, you know, women using kind of this approval motive. You know, I, I want to be found as sexy. I want to be found as desirable. I think about the hook, hookup culture, really. Um, women sort of wanting to be desirable and men often frequently also in a split in terms of their motive, they may want just uh, sexual pleasure. And so this is a perfect uh, match in some ways. Unfortunately, I think the outcome of that match, one person wanting pleasure, the other wanting approval, um, the outcome is often really devastating, uh, particularly to the woman who you know, wanted to be found desirable, maybe hoping that it would lead to an intimate connection and then she's really disappointed. And you're really talking about marriage or what happens in long-term right. relationship though. Well, and two, so there's things, really, really important things. And I think one of it is, you know, women and women do do this. They do want to be, and men too, want to be found desirable and attractive. Yes. And, and I definitely know a lot of men who definitely want to know that their uh, partner is interested in them. But for women, it's kind of like a double-edged sword where they want to be value. They, they place their value in their body, which is ironically something that we sort of teach as a society, at least in America, um, definitely. And in Las Vegas, I can vouch for that. Very, very strong women put a lot of their value into their body. And so having them be wanted, you know, feels like it's a validation of who they are as a person, but then sooner or later they figure out that people only want them for their body and then they get resentful or angry because, you know, I don't want to be wanted for just my body. Um, but also, you know, a little bit deeper than that is just more about securing a relationship. And we are told that you know, and I think maybe some of these are outdated messages that have still found their way into the culture and some bad messages that men only want sex. And so, you know, if you can keep them interested in sex, you can get a husband or a secure relationship. I mean, not everyone wants to be married, but I think most people want a secure relationship. And so they're taught sex is the tool, the vehicle to get that secure relationship. If you keep them satisfied, then you're going to have a secure partner. And it's really that secure relationship that they're after. And they just use sex as that vehicle. And then once they've achieved it, then it's like, well, my relationship is secure. I feel secure in the relationship. My partners help me feel secure. So now I really don't find any desire for sex because again, I never really got a whole lot out of it because it was to attract my partner. It was more towards my partner's pleasure. And so, you know, yeah, it's fun, but so is having ice cream or going out for a night with the girls and maybe it's less work and I don't have to get all gussied up and you know, so <laughs> it's these competing messages that we get. It, it really makes me think of how messed up we are as a culture in America. We have so many competing messages around sex. And but, but I think what you're saying is that the women haven't necessarily developed what I call the erotic core that yes. Uh, a part of them that finds their own sexuality, finds their own pleasure, and, you know, has been able to mature in a way that crafts and shapes the experience mm -hmm. so that it's really good for them. And, and they maybe haven't found the way that it does create that, that good emotional connection and also mm -hmm. that it's so pleasurable, such stress relief 
um, you know, and feel so good to them too. So those two places of emotionally connecting and genital pleasure, you know, maybe she hasn't quite really developed that as part of her connection strategy in relationship. It, it was like, I don't really see that as a, a big part of me. Um, and so they don't know how to, to achieve that. And some of it is some work in terms of self-development about finding an eroticism inside. Well, and two, what I see with that, and especially, you know, again, bring back my favorite show, Sex and the City, you know, which really, really put uh, women's sexuality front and center. I mean, I think there were early roots of this and you see, so in Sex and the City, if you're familiar with it, you have the Samantha character who is highly erotic. You know, and the rest of the women are still, they I sort of feel like they're all pieces they represent like a unity, you know, we all yeah. have like a little bit of each character inside, but all of them, you know, stand alone on their own as well. And they all contribute to this discussion and feelings around sex. So it really put on the table, women's sexuality and women desiring sex and their view of their bodies. But, you know, what started to happen is, and this Samantha character isn't new, you know, you had Golden Girls, to have Blanche, you know, and I've realized any show that focuses around like um, four to five female characters is always going to have a Samantha character, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe we all have a little bit of Samantha in us. And I think it shows like that gave permission for women to try to reclaim their sexuality and say, okay, maybe it's okay for me to start enjoying it. But again, when we're doing it very still kind of starting to compartmentalize it where you know, we have relationship and we have sex, but we're not integrating the two. So again, I may use sex to secure relationship when I have the relationship, I don't need sex. Or I'm having lots of sex and not connecting it to relationship at all. And it's just kind of casual with whoever, just for the sake of genital stimulation, you know, which you can get with a vibrator too. Again, they then they get into the relationship and it's like, well, I had all my fun, I had all my sex. I could take care of it on my own and it's still not a way of expressing themselves or filling needs or drives within a couple's relationship. So it still gets compartmentalized and they're still not bringing that together with their long-term partnership. So it's like two completely separate tracks that ideally in, a, in you know, you mentioned this, like a secure connected relationship, the two should be integrated, not sort of running on parallel paths. Well, I think um, you're watching Sex in the City. I think what was so revolutionary about Samantha was she was a female character who wanted genital pleasure and felt entitled to that and sought that. I mean, I, I didn't watch enough of the show to, to offer a lot of commentary, but my experience of what people told me in the few episodes I did see, which, right, I'm a sex therapist. I need, I'm going to watch it. That, that's my next binge. But, um, you know, she wasn't even that integrated in terms of emotional intimacy with her genital pleasure. But I do think it was a revolution in terms of feeling that, you know, women can go for this and have, um, you know, sexual pleasure. That was like a brand new message to our culture, right, for, for a woman. And I think, you know, when women were using sex to secure relationship, which I still run into, 
Um, I don't know, you know, maybe men bought into this too. I think there's a societal message before that men were the ones who enjoyed sex. It was their pleasure, not women. And so, um, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> I had the thought in my mind and the train just totally went off the track. Um, oh, so they're getting together and having these sexual relationships again with men that are still not very satisfied because the men are, you know, they're both engaged and they're both consensual. And yes, we're trying to have fun, but maybe the person that they're having the experience with is maybe more of a, a selfish lover who is concerned more with their pleasure um, and their orgasm and not really concerning with the woman, not, you know, I want to please or pleasure you the same way, you know, not really tuning in and, and really concerned about their enjoyment of the process. It's like, okay, it's hot and heavy. I got my orgasm. Okay. Now you go do the walk of shame kind of thing. And it's like, well, again, you know, even in these hookup, you know, the hookup culture, you know, we're not having experiences that are still, well, we're getting much out of it, yeah. you know? And that's, so, because, and that's, yeah, I mean, female pleasure is so complicated. Every mm -hmm. woman is pretty unique and it takes a long time for most women to reach orgasm. I mean, it takes women about 45 minutes to reach orgasm and that's about 20 minutes of just relaxing and having a brain shift from what she's got to do that day or what she's got to do the next day into being present in the bedroom and then it takes about 20 minutes of direct clitoral stimulation to reach orgasm and i think a male body which is enviable you know is a pretty sure thing most men can easily reach orgasm in many different positions you know, at the drop of a hat. I mean, they're just, they are filled with testosterone, which is the hormone that kind of allows them to go from, you know, nothing to arouse ready orgasm, boom. And, and that's fantastic. But for women, we don't have as much testosterone. So that's the subjective physiological desire piece. And that transition is necessary. And then we need a lot of stimulation most women, I gotta say it, do not reach orgasm through sexual intercourse. Only about 15% of women can ever reach orgasm through sexual intercourse. So when you think about how this is all designed and put together, you know, men, yes, they, they can kind of split off and have genital pleasure easily and women can't and, and why, often in an intimate relationship, she experiences a great deal more pleasure because he's more willing to take the time that she needs, more willing to explore and understand how she needs pleasure, what it takes. And I think in a hookup, you know, I understand it. It's like, why would he take that kind of time? You know, if it's really for him, just about an experience and, and is she going to allow her body that time in a hookup and be that directive and represent herself really well in terms of, hey, this is, this is what it takes. I mean, I don't think many women in a situation with a brand new lover are doing that. So their experience is not gonna be that great most of the time. And, and I know that there are women out there who do represent themselves and do have great first experiences with, you know, in a hookup experience. So I, I'm not, saying that never happens or can't happen. But I think in general, what I see is it is not happening. 
Yeah. And it's, it's so hard to, it, it really puts women in this predicament. You know, again, they learn to enjoy sex without orgasm because a lot of times, especially in the past when we weren't talking about sex and weren't talking about it in the bedroom, um, you know, it wasn't aimed at both partners, mutual pleasure or enjoyment. It, it was more um, focused on the male partner. And so, you know, women would have fun by not having an orgasm, just enjoying the closeness, the physical contact, being naked together. But again, you know, and being desired. I think being desired right, right. life for women. Yeah, being desired. But those kinds of things can also be met non-sexually. So again, it leads to when a woman is getting these things multiple ways, where for a lot of men, you know, we've done spectacular injustices to our men around their emotionality, which definitely Absolutely. affects their sexuality. Um, and I, but I would say most men, couples when they come in, most men are not saying, you know, I just want to get off. I mean, right. most male clients are saying, I really want that secure experience that you're talking about, Lori, of me feeling emotionally close and open with my partner and having pleasure and I want her to have pleasure so yeah yeah, I, I, yeah. in no well, way when... good in no way did I mean to indicate that I think men are selfish I I think yeah no 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 and I didn't get I didn't get this yeah. that's what you were saying I think it's more you know just again the societal messages and really doing injustices for our men painting them as creatures that don't care about being loved and so we don't make it socially acceptable for men to get those needs of love and feeling wanted in other ways. So they're a lot of times their primary way of getting that is through sex, whereas women can have multiple ways of getting that that doesn't involve sex. Yes. And so again, yes. if I don't get an orgasm or a whole lot out of sex or, you know, sex is fun, but it's just as much fun as doing something else that doesn't involve having to again, like make sure my body is prepped and ready and like I'm all shaved and I smell pretty and just all, you know, it can be feel like a lot to do for most women um, when it's so much easier to do something else and get the same feeling. And so that puts them in a bad spot. It's like, you know, how do they get more out of sex so that sex can become a priority in the relationship and not just, oh, like, you know, I just do it for him. And believe me, men don't, they don't find it satisfying when their wife is just necessarily going through the motions for them. You know, we call it kind of the dead fish experience. No one wants to have sex with a dead fish, you know, like a corpse just laying there. You know, it's like that doesn't lead the man to feeling wanted or desired either. It's like, you know, you're just a vessel that I'm using. And, and I find that's another thing that women do, especially if they've had trauma or again, they've learned you just use sex as a tool is that then when they enter their sexual relationship over time, after the relationship is secured, their body is going through the emotions, but they're not really engaged to the process. So it is like a vessel that's being used. And then they also get, again, feeling resentful, like, oh, my partner only wants me because I can pleasure his body, not because he actually wants me and loves me and is attracted to me. And so they get resentful and you know, they're just not very connected and present to the experience, which ironically decreases the likelihood of them getting more out of it. Right. And they haven't, I think, found a way to be very present in their body and have their body 
connect. I mean, we all desperately need physical connection, touch, uh, and physical love. I, I mean, it, it's, it is imperative that we are in physical connection in order to just stay alive, really. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, the research says babies who are not touched actually die and old, mm -hmm. older people who are not hugged and touched, we're, you know, we're in the age of COVID right now and um, we're seeing the deprivation that comes. And I think that for some people, their body, they're not really living in their body. You know, maybe my body was an ornament. Maybe my body was something that attracted my partner, but I don't own my body. And, mm -hmm. and even, I'm not even aware of the needs that I have for touch, for hugging, for sexual release. And, you know, I think sex is a complicated experience for women. Sometimes yeah. they're going for orgasm. Um, a lot of women, I think, they kind of need orgasm to have libido, but not every single time. I mean, sometimes they can feel a sense of deep closeness and deep intimacy, you know, just making love. And, you know, sex can be many things. It could be oral sex. It could be sexual intercourse. It could also be holding and touching and becoming aroused without completion. And that can be kind of exciting sometimes. I mean, so it doesn't have to be just one thing. Um, I, uh, what you're saying is so important, Dr. Lori, if I can just jump in yeah, while we have this thought is, and I think this goes back to another episode we talked about around talking about sex is that I find a lot of women believe that if their men don't orgasm, that they're somehow disappointed in the experience. And I find that a lot of men aren't necessarily um, displeased by not having an orgasm, that they also enjoy the closeness. But again, if we're not talking about it, if we're not, you know, and again, a lot of these myths that men should just be ready to go all the time. And if they're not ready to go, then that's something about me and my body. And I don't really get my partner aroused. And, you know, again, not understanding that men are also tied to their emotions. If they're super stressed, they have a hard time getting into their body. We've, science has proven that it's almost impossible for arousal and anxiety to live in the body simultaneously side by side. So again, we've also furthered these bad myths you know, that if a man can't perform, it must be us, but, you know, also not being present with our body. If we've had messages around sex that, you know, it's shameful or, you know, it's somehow sinful because you grew up in a religious family to desire sex that women, you know, it means you're a certain type of woman if you desire it, then not really tuning into your body or your kind of allowing yourself to have that pleasure or crave that pleasure but also if you have body shaming issues you know if your sense is I have to look a certain way in order to um, be loved or attractive to my partner and I know I don't look that way then I don't want to expose myself and then I stop sharing myself with my partner and this affects the relationship because a you don't really allow yourself to be loved fully through your flaws for for the real you you're saying, you know, I've only got to give my best parts forward. And if they're less than pristine, then I can't give them. So then I just end up not giving them. And then the relationship starts suffering from that lack of closeness because we're not fully sharing. But then we also are impacted by not feeling love for who we are while simultaneously being reluctant to show who we really are. And, and I, I think it was a movie I saw and I can't remember which movie it was. But, 
you know, the guy brought up a really good point. He said, has a, has a man ever like looked at your body and asked you to leave like during sex, you know, and they're like, no, they're happy to be having sex. They're happy to be with you. And a lot of them have their own insecurity. They don't care if you have jiggly bits or wobbly bits. They don't care. They're not saying, oh, look at that cellulite on her thighs. Ooh, I don't think I can get around. Like not happening in a guy's yeah. mind. But it's happening in a woman's mind. So, and I think you know, uh, one of the, you said so many important things. Um, um, but I think as we talk about body image, it's not just the total body. Also, women are very anxious about the appearance of their genitals, especially with pornography. Um, you know, women's genitals have become standardized. It's the small labia, the closed labia. Um, and, you know, women get really anxious about that. I don't look like that. And it's right, right. You know, only 1% of women look like that. And I mean, women look very, very different um, and they're all beautiful. And I think that, like you said, men are not looking at women thinking, oh, you know, you don't look like this. It's like men, I think are just thrilled to look at women, a real live woman, you know, and be able to be that intimate with her to look at her both totally so naked and to look at her genitals what's so funny about what you just said is okay so i you know when i was uh working um when i was in college doing my undergrad i was a um beverage server at one of the casinos so i'm here in las vegas and i was privy to some pretty derogatory man speak you know when they think no one's listening or you walk I'm up smart. and they're having a conversation they have never heard a man and i've heard I've heard stuff you wouldn't believe, but I have never heard guys like talk about a woman's labia, like, oh my God, like, you know, I've never even heard that be a big thing, like on their list of most attractive qualities or turnoffs or, you know, but these things we find to pick up and obsess over and, you know, with it always being in your face, you know, these, these images, even in very subtle ways, you know, like when I, you know, I've always been a, a curvy girl. I say I'm kind of juicy for a, for a white chick, <laughs> which is not very common. I'm built more like a 1950s woman. And so, you are you know, beautiful. You are beautiful. Oh, you're, sweet. you're sweet. Thank you. you but, you know, you like I go on Pinterest and I find like wardrobe ideas and, you know, it's like I want to dress like these gals and then you know, I put the clothes on and I don't look like them. And I realize like all these girls have the thigh gap, you know, these things that I will never have unless I surgically modify my body because I just wasn't built that way. And then I start feeling really bad because it's like, I, to me, like these women are cute and I'm never going to look like that. And so I start hating my body. It's like, why even try, you know? So it's just, it creeps in in all these subtle ways. And, and, and let me just say that, that body um, rejection that women that we go through, right, is really hard on us in bed. You know, if we're worried about those kinds of things and we can't, at least with our lover, um, feel comfortable and safe, um, it, you know, it's tough. And I I think there is more body pressure for men these days than there ever has been. Um, but I think that for women, you know, I have young girls who say, I knew I was chubby when I was seven, you know, or I mean, just the, the body pressure to look a certain way is unrelenting. So yeah, I, 
I think it's tough. Um, and that probably is a, is a killer for libido. Yeah. Women maybe feel sexual desire, but they don't feel deserving of it. And so they don't open up to it. They don't initiate because really it's their own body judgment. That body pressure thing that you're saying just really resonates with me. And I see it so, so much. It's, and it's completely ironic because we're trying to empower women and help them feel more confident. And, but women, and we say, you know, we don't want to, you know, oppress women by making them just physical objects, yet women more and more today are making money off of their looks, right? And, or their body, you know, we used to have a word for that, but that's no longer the only industry in which a woman can make money from her appearance. You know, you can just take sexy selfies of yourself fully clothed and be in magazines or billboards and make tons Instagram. of money. Instagram. Yes, yes. And, you know, it's like, you know, we talk about oppression, but women are capitalizing off their looks. You know, when they, you know, they have contests out here in Las Vegas for cover models. And believe me, there's no protest. There's no women saying this is oppression. And in fact, there are like 3,000 women who show up to enter these contests. And so it feels like this constant pressure and, and women are, you know, doing a lot of surgical modifications, even when they don't need to, you know, it's, I, I had this awareness when I worked at the pool that, you know, getting a boob job was like the new coach bag. Like everyone just had to have it, even if they didn't really need it. <laughs> so, you know, you just notice more and more women who were just totally beautiful without enhancements, just this constant pressure and pressuring each other. And then it's encouraged and everyone wants to make a living this way. And that just adds more to it. And then it's like this whole system on its own where then we're feeding this demand and then you know creating a demand and having to constantly feed it and not really aware of how that impacts us in the bedroom. And because it is really hard to maintain something yeah. like that. And again, all those body shaming issues and again, going back to Sex in the City, I remember Samantha had an episode where she took pictures of herself in the nude. And one of the other characters, Charlotte, she's super conservative, totally like the, the Pollyanna. And she was an art, um, she worked in art galleries and such. And so Samantha brings the proofs of her naked photos to lunch one day and in Charlotte's looking at them with her little spectacle and she's like, I've never looked, seen my own vagina up that close, you know? And, and Samantha's like, oh, honey, you need, here, take my mirror and go in the bathroom right now. And, and you go in the stall and have a look, you know? And it just, you know, and I think it's so true that even myself as a young woman, getting different messages about my body, you know, men, you know, have always, you know, never given me negative feedback about being a curvier girl, but I definitely, beauty magazines, TV, other women definitely not felt like that was a, a good thing. And, you know, so I was very afraid of my body, you know, and I, you know, didn't see myself as a sexual creature. And I think when you don't even see yourself as a sexual being, like, what is it like to see yourself through the erotic lens? It's harder to believe that even your partner sees you that way right. or would be interested in you that way. And if you won't look at it, it's also harder to show it to your partner and let 
let them really participate and partake of you. And so again, more holding back and just these shields against intimacy. Right. There's a book that I recommend to women to look at. It's called Petals. And it is, um, it's really well done. It's artfully done about, it's basically up and personal, um, up close and personal of a woman's vulva. And, you know, it's done in, in brown and white. So it has a little bit of distance on it. So you can kind of see texture and um, shape. And, you know, so many women have never seen another woman they haven't seen themselves, which I highly recommend that, you know, you do look at yourself and be comfortable touching yourself. And, you know, certainly some women say, you know, I only wash in the shower with a washcloth. They've never even touched themselves and let alone seen it. And, and many women say, oh, I'm so ugly. And it, it's really just, I think, a growing part of themselves. They've never seen any vulva, you know, yeah. so... So they don't realize that genitals have a particular look. You know, women don't realize that genitals have a particular smell. All genitals smell, and most women, unless they have, you know, an infection, they smell fine. They smell good. And I think it's really hard to come to terms with that, um, you know, because maybe there was an off comment when they were a child, like, oh, honey, you stink. Go take a, don't take, go take a bath, honey, yes. or something. Or they've heard comments of, they smell fishy or, or something, you know, and I, I think most women actually don't, um, they don't even know how they smell. And women, right. their odor changes throughout their menstrual cycle. It changes throughout the day. Um, women don't actually need to use soap on their vulva, believe it or not. Um, you know, mm-hmm. water is just enough cleansing and sometimes soap is drying and irritating. Yeah. You know, there's so much- yeah, they pick up their smell and they think that there's something wrong with them just because it doesn't smell like anything they've ever smelled before. And they're like, or like they, that's unnatural. They, right, or they taste themselves after their lover has gone down and they think, oh, I don't like that taste. But actually what they're tasting is mouth bacteria combined with their genital yeah. secretions. It's not the same thing that he's tasting. And I mean, right. it, it, there can be a lot of just kind of sense of alienation from her genitals that a woman has. And whereas men, I think, you know, they handle their genitals every day just to go to the bathroom. They can see them. You know, it, they, they are really better integrated with their genitals. And I think that increases their pleasure. Whereas women, we're not as integrated. We have to, we have to find a way to look because we're all not that flexible anymore. And, right. you know, and I think women should smell themselves, smell their underwear. I think they should taste themselves actually, mm-hmm. um, just so that they can- Be comfortable kind of with their body. Be comfortable. This is my body. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the other issues too, so let's, let's bring this back to assuming that maybe a woman doesn't have any issues with her body that, you know, she's, she feels pretty comfortable, but again, it's more about, you know, I use sex as a tool to secure a relationship and, you know, maybe my partner does give me general genital pleasure, but, you know, again, it's like not that big of like they never learned that having an orgasm or the act of sex was a big deal and and if they want an orgasm 
it's easier to just go to the drawer and get their vibrator and that takes care of it, you know, like that. And then they're like, then I didn't have to go through all this stuff. I didn't have to shower. I didn't have to do all this, you know? So again, they're having a hard time really getting into sex with their partner. And so again, it's, it's suffering in their marriage. It's not a big deal. And their partner wants to know that sex is important to them, that they get something out of it too. You know, because that, believe it or not, actually means a lot to a man to know that their partner enjoys sex with them, that that their partner actually enjoys it and gets something out of it. But if women, by and large, you know, are somebody who has the general attitude that, you know, sex is fun, but, you know, it's it's not a big deal, you know, so it's not a big deal if I have it. So therefore, I only have it for my partner, which, again, may not be very often because they're just trying to get by with the minimum you know, or their partner says it doesn't, not very satisfied because they're not engaged in the process. How do you, how do you help a woman have it become more of a priority, more of a, a bigger place in the relationship rather than, you know, it's, it's okay. Like I can do without it. Like I like it, but it's not a big deal if I never do it again, you know? Um, Well, first one thing is, is you told us about a woman who does have a sexual impetus that she would even pull out her vibrator. So, so that woman is not a low libido woman. That, that woman has desire and she does have sexual feelings that she acts on. I'm, I'm really not opposed to women having orgasms on their own. I see that orgasms actually often feed libido for women. It raises their confidence in their own body, um, especially if they can incorporate the vibrator in the experience. And, you know, women often don't feel desire until they're about 50 way, 50% of the way there up the mountain to orgasm. So they don't feel desire until they're aroused. So they really have to become willing to enter the experience basically unaroused, kind of with some sense of confidence that their body will work. And a vibrator is a sure thing. I, I think lovers should incorporate that, you know, especially great for quickies great for those times, you know, when you're not feeling much arousal yet. I mean, I think it's important to teach your lover uh, how to touch you so that there's flexibility and variety in lovemaking. But a lot of women, you know, if you ask her the question, um, do you want to have sex? She's like, hmm, no, you know, because she doesn't, she, she doesn't feel desire in that moment. So it's really a process of learning as a woman um, I don't feel desire until after I get aroused. That's normal. That's not dysfunctional. That's being a female. You know, I women always tell me, oh, it must be really fast for you. You know, you're a sex therapist. You must have all the tricks. I'm like, oh, I'm living in a female body. You know, yeah. I have all the limitations that every other female has in order to, you know, have the sexual experience be good. And you know, I think it's just that one of the things that has kept my desire high is that I trust myself. I trust my body. And, you know, I also have worked really hard on my eroticism. So I know I can communicate what I need. I will communicate what I need. And I have a husband who's very responsive as a lover to me. So that helps. I think, you know, sometimes women say, but I've tried, I've tried telling him. And what has happened is she has decided to give up her libido because she hasn't been able to shape that experience to be something that she wants. And th that is so sad for me. Women come in and will tell me all the time, oh, I just, I don't have any libido. 
But talking to her, I learned that actually she does. Mm -hmm. And she may even be more erotic and have a more creative imagination than her partner. But mm -hmm. for whatever reason, she thinks, you know, he's the one who sets the tone. His way is the way that works. Or, mm -hmm. or they judge themselves. Well, my partner can like get aroused in a heartbeat. I'm like, right because he's male, because he has a ton load more of testosterone than you do. And you need time and you need to assert that you need this time. But it's also like understanding the differences, which, you know, you did a beautiful job of laying out is that it's really hard for a man to have sex if he's not aroused because the gear does not actually work right. versus a woman, her gear still works, even if she's not aroused and women can still have sex without arousal or desire. And those will come later. And I think a lot of women have this myth that you have to already be aroused or already have desire. And that desire and arousal are the same thing. You could have desire, but not be aroused and you could still enter into sex and it kicks into gear. And I think without having that awareness, it's hard for women to convince, they feel like they have to convince themselves, like I have to have a good reason. And again, and they do it for their partner, not, not for themselves, not because, yeah, I, I think my body's gonna work. I trust my body, it's gonna happen. So then again, it becomes like not a really big deal or maybe it feels like too much work to get myself into feeling aroused. And so then it's like, ah, I'm too tired. I just, yeah, it's not a big deal. Like, you know, we'll cuddle and that'll be okay. And, you know. Right, so. exactly, exactly. Yeah, so you're saying that women should, you know, knowing this, you know, trusting their body, knowing that they don't have to have arousal first um, and, and to enjoy the experience, to enter into the experience um, and yeah, I think a lot of it is, is communication, being able to have this conversation with their partner, you know, do, you know, if they're judging themselves, having a conversation, being able to share that vulnerability with their partner, like, you know, around, I judge myself, I feel uncomfortable with my body, allowing their partner to share their positive view and, and actually take that in and believe that they actually are beautiful and acceptable, um, and, and, desired by their partner you know not just kind of letting it land on the surface like intellectually but emotionally allowing themselves to believe and feel in their bones that they are genuinely um you know desired by their partner really wanted and then it's more than just wanting them for their body you know that they right. do want all of them um yeah they have to you know, but to, are, they have to be able to turn off that critical voice that is so judgmental right yeah. and also yeah. the the critical voice that says you always have to be productive, that production in life takes precedence over pleasure. You know, you have to get yeah. so much done. And it's like, you yeah. know, when we're 80, if we haven't lived a life that has a balance of downtime and pleasure and, you know, an experience of closeness, I mean, I, I think we'll look back and say, you know, really did all of that work need doing, you know? Right. What about the other exquisite? Did the laundry really have to be folded tonight? Right. Is the roof gonna cave in if you didn't wipe down the sink tonight, you know, or clean the toilet, right? Could you right. let those things slide and let yourself get into the sexual place? And I think the main one of the main things too is being willing to ask that question this question of yourself and share it with your partner is what 
can we do to make sex more pleasurable for me or you know something that's that's worth having for me you know if it's not something that I find worth having then maybe that's part of the problem and it's not that you aren't that you don't have those desires or you don't have libido it's that you don't know how to get the best out of it in that experience and then again without talking about it we're not coming together and working through that together and saying okay let's try this let's try that um you know so that again it is something she desires or you know again challenging our own barriers what are my barriers to allowing myself enjoy this experience with my partner and have it be more than just something I'm doing for them because that isn't going to be a very pleasurable experience for me it's not going to be something I'm going to let myself crave and certainly not going to be super pleasurable for my partner because again they they want you to be engaged in the process right they they notice when you close your eyes and you won't look at them or you look away or you know you just kind of lay there and you don't touch them you know they also don't feel fulfilled by that and it's not necessarily always about orgasm for them that you could actually play and have sex and it doesn't have to be about orgasm and I think if couples could have that conversation that might take a lot of the pressure off you know that right. oh, if we can play and enjoy sex together sex in and of itself can become associated with a more positive and fun experience and then when we're having more sex because in general the activity is more pleasurable and desirable then yeah we will end up having more orgasm as a side effect but we're not so pressured by it that it's like Oh, I got to do all this work so that my partner can have an orgasm or it's just too much work for them to give me an orgasm. So I'd just rather not do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I talk to women, you know, they often take a month to plan a child's birthday party, you know, a three-year-old and it's all decorated and it's, there's little favors and there's special invitations and they've been very thoughtful about who to invite and, you know, tons of energy goes into these birthday party plans for kids who will never remember it. And I think, you know what, if you would just divide that by 12 and put one twelfth of that energy and creativity into initiating an experience sexually that is good for you, you know, whether it's we meet in the bath or you know, we, you know, we have drinks together on the patio and we talk about this, that, and the other, and then there's music playing and we start dancing or, you know, what makes it great for you? Could you just plan with one twelfth of the energy that you put into one single birthday party? That'd be the bomb. Your own desire would come up like that's, I've shaped an experience that I really think I will enjoy. Your partner would be blown away. You know, if yeah. you initiate one time a month with a male partner, I, I really think he's going to be very happy, you know, especially yeah. if it's a creative experience where, you know, the costume, you know, is dressed up or you, yeah. you're role playing or, you know, it doesn't yeah. even have to be super duper exciting. It can just be, right. you know what, I want sex tonight. That, that would blow people's minds. That would blow men's yeah. minds often just to say that that's enough, you know, but maybe I, singing that. I think you're saying something else that's really important is really kind of what I'm also hearing is, is couples, when they can communicate, they can kind of expand their idea of sex or the sexual repertoire. Again, if it doesn't always have to be orgasm driven, then that can expand the kind of sexual activity. So 
sex can be defined as more than just intercourse. You know, maybe it's we're having a shower together and we have erotic touch, but again, it's not necessarily orgasm driven and both of you end up walking away from that, still sharing that sexual intimacy and that sexual play together. And that still feels just as satisfying as the other times when you're having an orgasm and believing that you're, that both partners can be fully satisfied by that. That again, satisfaction is not, um, is not contingent upon having an orgasm. And so when couples expand, you know, then it's like, you know, maybe tonight, you know, we role play and that's our fun thing. Or tonight we just, you know, cuddle naked or we have central massage or tonight it's only about orgasm and I just need to get an orgasm. Can we just do that? You know, so it gives you multiple ways to express this and experience a satisfying relationship, which I think takes a lot of pressure off too. Yeah. I mean, you're talking about the life of the body between two people that is erotic, not necessarily penis and vagina every single time. And I just wanted to say one last little thing about, you know, a male erection and how women personalize it when he loses his erection or, you know, I mean, a lot of times as men age, even a little bit, 45, men start losing their erections. And it's not about you, baby. I mean, some of it is about their own physiology. You know, maybe their valves don't work as well. And so they have a little bit of backflow. They lose their erection. Uh, I mean, erections are often driven by anxiety and men are so hung up over how their penis is working. You know, I mean, so hung up about that and whether or not they're staying hard. And you know what? That anxiety causes right. their options to fail. And I mean, they're often very excited about a woman, but then when their erection fails, they feel humiliated and they turn away. And women so frequently interpret that as I'm not sexy enough for him. And it is not yes. that. I, I would just tell you a thousand times that if you can say, you know, okay, it's not not our night but hey let's cuddle let's stay together I, I really need your attention or come to me you know I mean yeah with it if only women knew how how much of an emotional experience that is for men when their erection fails uh, you know if they knew that men it's not about you not being sexy and they have often a lot of shame that comes up you know if yes. you if you knew that you know, it would help not personalize it. And you might be able to show up for your partner in a way that heals their shame and takes away their stigma. And then they can, their anxiety can go down and re-enter that experience and it can still be fun and satisfying even if we didn't have, you know, an orgasm or whatever. And both people still walk away feeling loved and having their dignity and their self-esteem and not, not feeling shamed by that experience. Right. Exactly. Yes. And men are emotional creatures. Their erection, their their desire and arousal is impacted by their emotions too. It is. So absolutely. do not believe that they are always like, they should just be able to go all the time because that also sets both of you guys up for a lot of pressure, especially as you both age and things just don't happen as quickly as they used to, which is natural. You know, yeah. you if you have that myth, then you're going to be setting yourself up emotionally for a lot of hurt and disappointment. And then again, that can lead to lower desire and arousal and, and lower desire just to enter into those activities or have those conversations. And then, you know, that can definitely affect your emotional connection as well. So thank you so much, Dr. Lori, for being with us today and, and talking about sex. And, you know, it's just such an important topic for couples and 
Um, you know, I'd love to continue the conversation with folks online. If you're watching this, you know, make sure that you put comments as to maybe some of your experiences or just what you found valuable or helpful or how you learned to conquer these places. But I also want to encourage you to find Dr. Lori. Um, now you have books, you have a podcast. Tell folks where they can find you, your website. Okay. So I'm on Foreplay Radio, which is a podcast with my co-host, George Fowler, who is my colleague and a couples therapist. And we try to have just a natural conversation between a man and a woman um, about our experiences clinically. And we also talk about our experiences with our own partners and uh, try to make it really natural to talk about sex. And I have written a book called Wanting Sex Again. You can find it on Amazon, uh, How to Heal, uh, whoops, how to rekindle desire and heal a sexless marriage, but it's more than just sexlessness. It's also about the stages of a relationship and how that impacts sex. And I blog for Psychology Today, which is called Married and Still Doing It. If you Google Lori Watson, you're gonna find all kinds of stuff that I've done out there. And I'm, I'm also a clinician. I do intensives and you can find me at awakeningcenter.org and I'd love to talk with you. Excellent. And I'm going to put a link to Dr. Lori's website on the description for this video in YouTube. So make sure that you find information uh, about her and uh, also make sure you check out Foreplay Radio and hit subscribe. Make sure you also subscribe to We Heart Therapy and you can follow me, Dr. Annabelle Bugatti, at Insta at, uh, on Instagram or Facebook. And uh, I do have a book coming out later this year. It's mostly towards therapists, but um, if you are a regular person, I've been assured by my lay readers that they can, that they've really loved my book. It's about using relentless empathy to uh, shape uh, therapeutic relationships with challenging and resistant clients. But if you've got a resistant or, or challenging or difficult person in your life that you're trying to shape a relationship with or at least make those interactions more tolerable you will get a lot out of this book so you can find that on my website drbugatti.com or amazon so make sure you check that out and thank you again so much dr Lori watson for being on our show thank and you thank for having me you're welcome and thank you so much to our viewers make sure that you hit subscribe because more videos are on the way